there were three ordinary women on what seemed like a simple mission to find a film they liked. One where women got something to do and not just look pretty or be murdered. Which, to be totally honest, has complicated matters a bit. Welcome to Flicking. Yes, it sounds a bit rude. That's the joke. Hello and welcome to Flicking, our monthly rootle around one of our favourite films. I am joined as ever by Yosra Osman. Yosra, hello. Privet. Oh, look at you. And I'm really sorry to any of our Russian listeners if I've got that wrong. <laughs> I thought you sneezed, but I liked it. <laughs> I thought you said Pripyat. Privet. Oh, okay, got you. I did my research, but clearly not very well. Oh, no, but I just think we didn't do our research. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome also to Hannah Dunleavy. Hello, you clattering fannies. (laughs) (laughs) Hannah's also done her research and just, you know, Uh. stating an obvious truth. Hannah, it was your turn on the wheels of steel. What did you have us watching this month? This month we watched The Death of Stalin, Armando Iannucci's 2017 satire about, spoiler alert, the immediate aftermath of the death of the USSR's ruthless dictator in 1953. I mean, obviously, it's not a spoiler alert. Its cast looks like it can only be the result of taking a handful each from tubs labelled things like the best of the stage, British comedy legends (laughs) and quirky Hollywood. And the wildly eccentric result shouldn't work, but it absolutely does. Well, for me, anyway, we can discuss further in a bit. It was one of two giants of popular culture in the 2010s that looked to the former Soviet Union to make a point about the, I put this in quotes, post-truth world we now occupy. Mm. And like the other, HBO's Chernobyl, doing so made it the subject of extensive scrutiny about historical accuracy. And we can maybe talk about that in a bit. But first, I mean, why I picked it, why I love it. I think all of those things can be summed up in that opening scene. Number one, it's clever. But unlike a lot of clever things, it doesn't try to make you feel stupid. So while I did actually know quite a lot about the history they're talking about here, I reckon, and feel free to correct me, that you could know next to nothing about Russian history and still grab a hold of what is going on here. Because it's not so much about these specific people as it is about human nature in general. Which brings me to point number two. It's an absolute masterclass in show, not tell. There's very little verbal exposition in it. There's no voiceover. There's just a few lines of text at the start that say, and I'm only slightly paraphrasing here, Stalin was in charge, his people lived in terror. And then what we get is to spend a bit of time with the director of Radio Moscow, brilliantly played by Paddy Considine, who is having a lovely evening at work right up until he isn't. And it shows how life had changed so fucking quickly for anyone and that that knowledge was terrifying. And the intrinsic absurdity of it all can be summed up in his frantic shouts of, don't worry, nobody's going to get shot. It's just a musical emergency. (laughs) Which brings me to point number three, and that is that it isn't just funny. It's exactly my kind of funny. It's about the absurd. It's insults are glorious. And its use of strategic understatement is absolutely chef's kiss. I give you Paul Whitehouse standing over the smouldering corpse of a former colleague, opining, busy old week. <laughs> so that's enough from me. For I know you hadn't, Becky. Yosway, had you seen this before? Yeah, I saw it in the cinema when it came out. 
Okay, and uh, Mickey, it was your first time. It was my first time watching The Death of Stalin. I had wanted to see it when it came out, but for reasons that now escape me, hadn't managed to. And then, yeah, it sort of fell off my list. Okay, so uh, where to start? Okay, maybe I'll start with that point about history. Did you agree with me that the history in this is well done? And by well done, I mean well explained. No. Well, yes and no, I guess. I think I knew some about that era and about Russian history there. I don't agree that you could watch it and kind of understand exactly what went on in Russian history at that time, because I think he plays fast and loose with a lot of historical accuracy. There's a lot of stuff that isn't correct. But I think he captures the mood really, really well and the terror It made me very, very anxious, which I guess is representative of how people felt all of the time under Stalin's dictatorship. Mm. Yosra? Yeah, I I think I agree with that. I think he does really well to convey the brutality of that era. Mm. But I think historically, I couldn't kind of take... I I don't know a lot from that period. I did do Russian history at school and I know some some things, but I, I felt it was quite on a simple level but that's not to say that it should be very detailed in its historical narrative I think getting that mood across was the important thing yeah it's not a documentary and it's not claiming to be a documentary yeah exactly yeah I mean I completely agree because like I said I don't think the point is I mean I don't know if this is a fair comparison but it's a bit like the crucible because should the crucible be accurate to what was happening in 1650 or are they just using that to make a point about now which is I pretty sure what I think she is doing here. I think that's an excellent comparison. Is that his point is this is about today. So like I said, I'm not even sure you need to really understand that much about, you know, the, the minutiae of who a lot of these people are, except it's about power. It's about a scrabble for power and how that never really ends well. Yep. A note on historical accuracy, Richard Overy, who you probably read at school then if you did Russian history, because I read a lot of Richard Overy at school and we did Russian history. He's been quite critical of the plots of this, Mm -hmm. which, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure is necessarily fair because, like I say, it's it's not a historical document. But also, I think if you didn't know who Laurenti Beria was and you Google him to find out who he was after watching The Death of Stalin, The Death of Stalin has done its job. It's made you interested in who he was. And I think that itself is a commendable thing. And you get the gist that he's not very nice, (laughs) to put it very mildly. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And actually, in defence of Iannucci, I I saw him talking about this once and he said that actually a lot of the things they changed, they changed to make them less absurd because Mm. he just didn't think that people would believe them. So, for example, when the uh, conductor passes out and they have to go and get another conductor, apparently the first conductor they went to get was so drunk that he couldn't do it, so they had to go back and get a third conductor. And he said that just seemed too much. In the opening scene to have that, it just seemed like people would go, that would never happen, even though it actually did happen. He's faffed around a lot with timelines as well, though, right? He's moved things that happened before the death of Stalin mm. to be around that time. And also yeah. stuff that happened much later afterwards. He's actually condensed it so it looks like it happens in the aftermath, the immediate aftermath. Mm. Yeah. But we do that with history all the time. Yeah. That's almost exactly the same as Chernobyl did. A lot of Chernobyl is true. A lot of it is a compressed time frame. Yeah. While we're talking about Chernobyl, I assume this is on your list of things to talk about as well. One of the things that I think is utterly glorious is the use of just accents of not yeah, like that it accents. is on my list. <laughs> Yeah, 
I think it opened the door for Chernobyl to just say, just use whatever fucking accent you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's part of it, the delight of watching it, I think, that it's just kind of nonsensical, but also makes perfect sense why they're using the accents that they're using in the film. Yeah, really enjoyable. Because there there isn't a generic Russian accent. No. So in the same way that, you know, if Americans decided that it was going to, like, show Britain or put on something that was, you know, uh, here's a cross-section of British society and everybody sounded in that BBC voice, we'd be like, that's not right. I suppose in a way this, yeah. I think it also transplants it into being a satire. I think it adds to the satirical idea because it isn't just Russian. It is about the death of Stalin and about that brutality and about how people act under that kind of dictatorship and what it does to the human mind, soul, brain, body, everything. Mm. But also it does make it more everyday because it isn't just rooted in Russia. Yeah. Also Jason Isaacs, big heart shape. <laughs> goes full Sean Bean. I love it. <laughs> but also, it's not about Russia. It's about the Soviet Union. Mm. Yeah. So we're yeah. talking about dozens of countries that people would have come from, as Vasily says. With yeah. the, the cubs of various nations. Oh, yeah. I love Vasily in this film. I think Rupert <laughs> Friend is just yeah. a riot. I think he's so. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's go to that point then, because I think the first time I watched this, or the first couple of times I watched this, I tended to come away with the impression that despite those late stage entries and show-stealing attempts by both Jason Isaacs and Rupert Friend, that it was actually Steve Buscemi's film. But increasingly, the more I watch it, the more I think that it's Simon Russell Beale's Oh, it's film, totally Simon Russell Beale's incredibly good in yeah. this. Incredibly good in this, yeah. He's the rotten heart of the film, like... Obviously, Stalin, again, not a nice guy, and I am being very mild about that. But he's dead really early on, and it's Beria mm. who is the brutal beast. And Beale, Russell Beale is just astonishing. I mean, and he's dominated the stage, so why wouldn't he dominate a screen like that? And actually, that kind mm. of slightly hammier way of acting, and it's not the right word, but that bigger, okay, that bigger way of acting that makes a stage presence work so well on screen mm. for a character like this that sucks the energy from everyone else. Yeah, uh, I actually met him once in real life and it seems even more staggering to me because he was incredibly lovely darling. So there was nothing of that sort of horribly masculine thing that just, just radiates off him in this. It's called acting, Hannah. I don't, I don't know why yeah, you're surprised. I know. <laughs> I know, but I think sometimes it surprises me when someone's physical presence is able to change. Mm-hmm. When yeah. someone goes from from appearing to be quite sort of, I don't mean slight because he is obviously a big, a big dude, but harmless to someone who is, yeah, seems to have a, a different physical physicality in it. Yeah, he's pure menacing in it. Mm. I do have a thought though, not so much about Simon Russell Beale, just more about the presentation of Barrier as a character, knowing what I know, knowing the things that he did. That's one thing I felt watching this film. One of my issues with this film was. I know you're meant to sort of feel uncomfortable, but I almost felt uncomfortable with how humorous Beria was, knowing everything he did and who he was. And I know it's touched upon in the film. Yeah, they kind of sideline the paedophilia, don't they? But it's Yeah, mentioned. the paedophilia, this is what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. the grooming and the sexual assault of young girls. And... I don't know, I think that's pretty, that's pretty foregrounded. I think it's, you know, it's repeated. He repeats and repeats and repeats about how many women he's sexually assaulted. It's in one conversation with one of the other members of the committee and it's at the end when they read it out. 
I think, yeah. But then who I keeps think... everywhere around him? You see him saying, I love that one. I love that one. Take yeah, that no, that, that is true. And it's not so much that I just, I had a little bit of an issue of how he was portrayed and mm. the humorous nature to that. It almost left me feeling a little bit unsure, a little bit cold, but that just be my, my takeaway there. Mm. I had a similar thing with the film, actually, in that I wanted to love it. Like, Hannah loves it. We tend to have a very similar sense of humour and a similar taste in films. I love Iannucci. I think the cast is incredible. But I was like, this is just so brutal. It's so dark. I feel so anxious. I'm not sure I want to be laughing. And I do think that discomfort is all part of the plan. It's all part of the satire. But for me, it left me a little bit too uncomfortable. I think that's my issue because I love Onuchi and I love I love the thick of it. I love Veep. I can watch those and laugh for days, find them really funny. But maybe that's because that's just taking, you know, it's very political and it's kind of just bumbling idiots. Um, whereas this, the history behind it is so dark mm. that I could get over it most of it, but there were times where I thought, oh no, I'm, I'm feeling a bit cold here. The peril is more than a media battering. The peril is so many people died. Yeah, but I think, I I don't know. See, I, I would say that what it does is it normalises that behaviour. In normalising it, it makes you realise how fucked this society had become, that things happened and it became totally accepted that, for example, mm. that there were no doctors and that was seemed like it was something that was perfectly normal. It became perfectly accepted that Beria was a paedophile. They only throw it against him when they're just trying to use evidence against him at the end. And they, yeah. they say it, to, but they don't care that he's mm. done that. They're just using it as an excuse to kill him. Yeah. Because it's power, isn't it? It's this desperate sort of grab for status. Because I think it's really clever the way the Secret Service, how polite they are in it, loads of it. Like there are bits where they go, thanks for your help, son. And then they go off and they take his dad. And it's, it's absurd. But that's, I find absurdity really funny, even if it is a really dark absurdity. Because sometimes you can't just help but laugh at things because things are just so, like, how has this happened? You know, mm-hmm. how are we in the state that we're in? That, you know, it's it's fucking appalling that we're in the state that we're in. That, yeah. that we, we had a prime minister who lasted, what, a couple of weeks? Less time than a lettuce. Yeah. That should be, exactly. <laughs> and we laughed about it, but it's not funny. It's just, it's because it's absurd. Mm. Yeah. I don't know why, though, I've got, you know that is hilarious and I feel comfortable with laughing at that but this there are points where and not throughout the film there were just certain points where perhaps I didn't and I think it's because I couldn't remove the really dark nature of some of what happened at that time Mm. it's it's, it's an interesting one because I know I know that the person that I went to see it with at the cinema absolutely loved it and I enjoyed it but sometimes I just yeah I just felt a bit cold with it I think it's better on a rewatch, actually. I, I do think you pick up more on a rewatch. I did say that to Mickey, that the, it is one of those things that genuinely becomes funny, funnier the more that you see of it, because you notice these yeah. things that are going on in the background that perhaps you hadn't noticed before. So when you think about, like I say, about the White House, it gets virtually no time in this at all, but gets at least three or four really funny things mm. happen. That it is, yeah. you know, such a broad cast with such talent that actually a really small, insignificant role can become huge. And I think really entertaining. It makes me laugh so fucking much. But before we get to what what made you laugh in it, 
a couple of years ago, Mickey and I interviewed Pat and Joseph about doing a Christmas carol at the Old Vic. And he, I don't know if you remember this, Mick, but he was talking about why he loved Dickens. And he said it was because Dickens was really great at insults. And he described Dickens as being like an early Armando Iannucci. I do remember. Not long after that, Armando Iannucci made David Copperfield, which I also absolutely love. It's such a great film. And he was absolutely correct about Dickens. I think he's absolutely correct here. The the sort of Blackadder-ish, you know, Dickens-ish insults that are thrown around in this make me laugh a lot. You clattering fannies being amongst my favourite of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's great. It's Malcolm Tucker, but set in Russia. And, you know, there's not anything not to love about that. Yeah. If you're going to ask us which is the funniest, Jason mm. Isaacs totally wins it for me. He just made me laugh a lot. Because I didn't <laughs> laugh loads, I've got to say. I, I Like, it's so clever. Maybe it's too clever for me and my sense of humour is just a little bit sillier. So, like, the satire that's in Spinal Tap absolutely kills me. It's amazing and really funny to me, but it is a lot sillier. It's the same sort of level of absurdities and observations, but it's it's less peril, and I think that really does do mm. it for me. But Jason Isaacs just coming on like Sean Bean absolutely had me in tux. I loved every <laughs> second of him. I got what I expected with this, with Ionichi, that quick-witted, sharp, biting dialogue that was just so fast-paced that like I said you've got to watch it again to mm. catch some of the jokes who do you find funniest Hannah because you have watched it a I million th- you times see I think Steve Buscemi is great in this like oh, genuinely is. really really funny and I think people confuse him for being a serious actor when I think actually the stuff that he's done that's comedy is probably oh the Coen brothers so good yeah, yeah more consistently great like Coen brothers Conair obviously he's hilarious in that. he is I think Michael Palin has some really great moments when, when Michael Palin's fake laughter, when they're all sitting around and telling terrible jokes and Stalin's, you know, making awful jokes. They all laugh and Michael Palin goes that extra step with the, his eyes get really big when he laughs. And he's like, oh, you, you, you. And then he goes outside and they're like, yeah, he's on, he's on that list. Yeah. He's going. So it just shows you it's for nothing. Jeffrey Tambor, who I, I don't know. I used to absolutely love him in Arrested Development and then he got caught up in some Me Too thing which slightly changed my attitude towards him. But he does have a glorious line in this in which he says, I can't be expected to remember who's alive and who's not alive anymore (laughs) because that's how frantic, you know, it's become. And he is so hapless. He's just such a stooge. And I think I feel exactly the same about him as you do and yours were made the same face. So, yeah, but that hangdog, very pale complexion really Mm. works in this what the fuck am I expected to do here? Because there's no right answers. There's no right answers for any of them. Yeah. Them attempting to move the body makes me laugh a lot. I'm the only one needling in piss, am I? But it's not just the lines. I think there's something in, like I say, well, I mean, it's Michael fucking Palin. It's Paul Whitehouse. Mm. People have been doing this for years and years and years and years, and they really know their stuff. I want to mention Andrea Riseborough because there aren't many. Yeah. And I am a big fan of Andrea Riseborough and she does a lot of drama really well. I've never really seen her in that much comedy and I think she stands her ground pretty well in this. I mean, I suppose to some degree she is the straight man in it for all of she the craziness. She does crazy that so nurses. well. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. And she's so appealing in this film. Like she's 
the one that I connected with the most. But interesting, you mentioned this. This doesn't have to go on the podcast, but I just watched Matilda with Andrea Riseborough in as Mrs. Wormwood. And again, she's in a very comedic role there. And she does so well with it that I think I'd like to see her doing a lot more of these comedic turns because I think she's very engaging. I mean, she is anyway, whenever she's on screen, but it's nice to see her particularly strong in these kinds of roles. And what she's great at in The Death of Stalin is she's the only one who's genuinely sad. I feel like she is the the one who's got genuine grief that her dad has died and she's surrounded by all of these lackeys who don't give a shit. They're just like, well, what does this mean for me? And a brother who's off his tits on vodka talking about bears. And she's just like, what the... And she does that wide-eyed and furious. The disbelief when they can't bring someone back from the dead for her is... So good because she's so entitled because her dad is Stalin. I think it's so pitch perfect. She's great in it. I really liked Svetlana. I didn't like her. She's horrible, but I really thought she was great as Svetlana. <laughs> Who would put a lamp on a chair? I don't know why, but when she just breaks out of grief to just say that and then goes back to it. Yeah, it's totally perfect. One of the few other women in it is June. Oh, I can't remember her name now. Do you want to say June, June Smith? I also want to say June Brown, but it's not June Brown. She plays housekeeper of Stalin. She is also in Chernobyl. She is the woman in Chernobyl who, who is milking the cow who refuses to go. Oh, interesting. So she's very good at doing a lot with what she gets, clearly. Yeah. She gets a little in a lot of stuff, but she does it really well. And I think the other thing that this does really great is the sort of the quick, the frantic, because I'm not entirely sure everything, it was as quick and frantic as it was in this. But by doing it, it kind of really like nails that sort of how quick these things happen. Like say, for example, when they go in and they clear that place out and they they just shut down his house and basically mothball his house in what appears to be seconds. Mm. It's just in, take what's valuable, cover that up, bang, you're dead, in the car, and then they drive off from there. It's done. But the speed of that probably wasn't necessarily the speed that it happened, but I think it's touches like that that really indicate the major point of this, which is that your life could change outside of your control within seconds. Like I say, going back to that original thing, Paddy Considine answers the phone and his life immediately becomes endangered by the Mm. fact that he's answered that phone. He's also brilliant in this. I think that opening scene is just absolutely great. And there's a really perfect moment where he's telling everyone to clap. And that guy gets up and starts standing ovation to nobody, which is just, again, one of those things that... Because I think the point they're trying to make is ask questions. I think that's the point I knew she's making it. Ask questions. Don't follow orders. Don't be afraid to say what you think. You know, if we're living in that world, which we were in 2017, and to some degree we still are now, maybe not so much with Donald Trump's gone, but if you don't ask questions and you don't say what you think, there's, this is a road that inevitably ends where it ended with Stalin. I might be wrong. You've both said that obviously it gets better with more watches, you notice mm. more stuff. And having only watched it the once, I could totally see that it's that kind of film. But I've got to say, I don't think I could watch it again because of the... Really? Yeah, because of how brutal it was. Yeah, I don't think I'll watch it again. Sorry to disappoint you. That's all right. You watched it once. I did. I did. And I'm glad I've seen it. And, you know, I can absolutely respect that. It's very clever. I did some chuckling. The performances are fucking amazing. But, yeah, I just don't think I could go back. Yosra? I do like it, but I have to say, of all the Iannucci that I've watched, 
it's actually lower down my list than a lot of the others. And I, I think that's kind of because I'm coming from a little bit where Mickey's coming from. It it does leave me feeling quite uncomfortable and cold. And I, I also think sometimes the plot, it, it just the narrative gets a bit aimless for me and I can't quite connect with it. So for that reason... I would probably watch it again because I love Ayanucci, but it's not, it's it's probably not one of my faves from, from him. What would be your fave one then? It would be between, it would, it would depending on my mood, it would be yeah. The Thick of It or Veep. I just... God, I, I love Veep so much. I think, I think they're both stand out and I've watched them both now time and time again and I laugh every single episode. I'll just be sat watching Time Trumpet in my house. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, and this is this is one of those things that I think casts me out as a heathen sometimes, in the same way that I think the American office is better than the British office. Oh, look, she's done it. I mean, you've got Get to do off. it like that. That's it. <laughs> um, I actually think I prefer Veep to um, the thick of it. Yeah. What a shock note to end on. <laughs> I think that's perfectly acceptable. And I absolutely love Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I think she's phenomenal, isn't it? Agreed. So what's coming up next week? Next time? What's coming up next? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, Long John Silver there. Hannah, for the listeners who can't see this, has got a cat parrot. And cat parrot has claws. So, yeah, it's me next time. And I have put this off for long enough. So it's actually happening. And we're going to be watching one of my favourite films, which is Anchorman. Hey. Standard issue for all women.